we're jumping into a new series this weekend on the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is known as the book of wisdom. So in honor of starting a new series on wisdom and the fact that it happens to be Mother's Day, I thought I would share with you some of my favorite motherly wisdom, okay? I did glean this from Facebook, just so you know. All right, so our first one is this. Parenting is saying the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Oddly enough, that's the same definition as insanity. Coincidence? I think not, right? I think most of us know we're a little crazier than we were before we had kids. This next one is so true in my life right now. Silence is golden unless you have a toddler. In that case, silence is very, very suspicious, right? It's so true. Abigail, mischievous. Okay, and then this is a classic. For all of you, you need to know this if you have a mom or if you've ever been a part of making a woman a mom, okay? This is important information you need to know. If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, right? Especially on Mother's Day, keep that in mind. So that's some of my favorite parenting wisdom from Facebook. And maybe Facebook isn't the best place to go looking for wisdom. Um, But if that's not where we're going to find it, where are we going to find it? We're living in an unprecedented time. We have more information at our fingertips than ever in history. If you want to know more about something, in about 15 seconds flat, you can have five expert opinions at your fingertips, right? And that's kind of nice if you are figuring out how to build your own coffee table, for example. But when you are making decisions that have much more significance, that are more important, that um, are, are critical to life, how do you decide where to find wisdom? How do you decide the difference between the things that are smart and the things that are wise? Because those aren't always the same things. We need wisdom to navigate the complexity of life, but it can be hard to find. There's a guy in the Bible who has gone down in history as the wisest man to ever live. Now, that's not a bad reputation to keep for thousands of years, right? His name was King Solomon, and we get to read this really cool story about what happened between God and King Solomon, and we read this in 1 Kings chapter 3. So if you have your Bible or your Bible app with you, you can turn there. We're also going to have it on the screen, and we're going to start this morning in the fourth verse and find out what went down between God and and Solomon on this particular occasion. I think it's important to note that Solomon had just come from a time of offering worship through sacrifice, offering worship to God. So this is what happens. uh, Verse 4, the king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on the altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Can you imagine? God just shows up and he's like, here you go. Ask for whatever you want me to give you. And this is God. So nothing is impossible. You can have absolutely anything. Except for, it's kind of like the scene um, from Aladdin with the genie in the bottle. No wishing for more wishes, right? But one thing, anything you want, and you can have it. Can you imagine? Like, what would you wish for? Solomon had that opportunity, and this is how he answered. In verse 6, Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You've continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on the throne this very day. 
Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. But I'm only a little child, and I do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? Solomon had a job to do to be king, and he realized that he did not know what he is doing. If you're a mom in this room, how many of you also had that epiphany sometime when your child was very, very small? Oh my goodness, God has given me a job to do, and I have no idea what I'm doing. Some of the best jobs, some of the best roles that were given in life, to be a husband, to be a wife, to be a mother... Those are jobs that most of us, we have no idea what we're doing. And Solomon, he was smart enough to realize he didn't know what he was doing. And what he needed more than anything was God's wisdom. And so he asked God for wisdom. And then God does what God loves to do, which is that he gave Solomon exceedingly and abundantly more than he could ever ask or imagine. In verse 10, we find out what happens. The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you've asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime, You will have no equal among kings. Wow. Solomon asked God for wisdom, and God gave Solomon wisdom. And he gave him wealth and power as a bonus, which is a pretty nice bonus gift. I don't know if I was Solomon, if I would have been uh, thinking, hey, God, I can have anything I want. What I really, really want is wisdom. I'd like to think I would, but I'm not sure. But it turns out it's a pretty good idea to have some wisdom. Eleanor Roosevelt said, in the long run, we shape our lives, and we shape ourselves. The process never ends until we die, and the choices we make are ultimately our own responsibility. Our choices shape our lives. And I'm just thinking that if we could make more wise choices and less foolish choices, or even more wise choices and less complacent choices, life would be pretty different I don't know how you came in this morning, whether you're feeling kind of on top of a mountain or you're feeling more like you're at the end of your rope, but I think wherever we are in life, wisdom is something that we could all use. And uh, to demonstrate this fact, I thought this morning we could go around the room and you could all share the dumbest thing you've ever done, right? Just to prove that we need wisdom. Anyone feel like doing that? I'm just kidding. You don't have to do that. I'm going to share some of the dumbest things I've done, though. A couple of weeks ago, um, we were sitting at a family gathering, and my niece, who recently turned 12, she pipes up, and she says, Nana and Papa, tell me about the dumbest things my mom ever did. Tell me what they were. And, of course, the room erupts in laughter, and the stories begin to flow. My sister, when she comes next service, will insist to you that there was nothing to tell, that she never did anything terrible. Uh, But just in case there was something that was going to come up, she immediately turned the conversation towards me. She thought it would be much more fun to talk about the dumbest things that I had ever done. And so my family had plenty of fodder for discussion. My mom 
brought up the story that my family brings up every single time we talk about Angel's teenage years, and that is the day that I got locked in a park with a boy. Turns out, some parks have gates, and those gates lock at dusk. Now, the story was a lot more innocent than my family will choose to believe, but I've tried to convince them for years um, that it was really an innocent mistake and nothing was going on, but they don't believe me, and therefore they love to bring it up over and over and over again. It was particularly awkward when my husband met said boy and thought, hmm, that's the boy you got locked in the park with. Um, the story never dies. But then my sister, my sister, she really wanted to make sure this story was told. Uh, it's her favorite story because she got me into trouble, right? So my sister, two years younger than me, she, I had a friend over and I said, I know how to drive a car. And my sister said, you do not know how to drive a car, like little sisters do, right? And I was like, I, I actually know how to drive a car. Dad already taught me how to drive a car. No, you don't know how to drive a car. Well, mom and dad weren't home, so I thought the best way to end this argument is if I take the keys to mom's station wagon, put my friend in the passenger seat, and drive the car around the block. Do not do this at home, okay? This was a very dumb idea. It was so unwise. Somebody could have got hurt. The car could have been damaged. This was a bad idea. Looking back as an adult, I cannot believe I did that, right? I have no idea what my parents were thinking, except for that my brother stood on the porch with a video camera and videotaped me driving back in, so I couldn't deny that this had taken place. It the disaster, unwise choices. And I would like to say that my unwise choices stopped when I graduated high school or maybe college or when I got married, but the truth is I've made plenty of unwise choices in my life and some of them more recent than others. And the thing is, unwise choices, sometimes they become those silly stories that we laugh about for years or in my family's case, decades to come. But sometimes, Sometimes our unwise choices are little things that turn into bigger things that leave us feeling lost and confused, frustrated with life, and sometimes even hopeless. It's feeling lonely, and so we say yes to a friend request that we know we should say no to. Or it's that first visit to an adult-only website. It's, it's those careless words that we speak out and permanently damage relationships that matter the most to us. It's choosing to spend too much time at work or on our hobbies and not enough time with the people we love. Those little unwise choices. Unwise decisions often come with a high price tag, whether that's financial or physical or relational. Many of us could give examples of unwise decisions that we've made that have led to broken relationships, broken promises, broken dreams, and sometimes even broken lives. Not all unwise decisions, in fact, most unwise decisions are actually not laughing matters. And when we walk out the door today, it's not going to take long before each of us has the opportunity to make another, yet another decision in life. They come at us all the time and from every direction. Those choices will shape our lives and maybe shape our kids' lives. So how do we wise up? I mean, short of having a Solomon-like experience where God shows up and says, ask me for any one thing, how is it that we go about acquiring wisdom? Well, the good news is Proverbs, the first seven chapters, it loves to unpack for us what wisdom is and how we go and find it. In Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. 
Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And Psalm 111.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. So according to the Bible, if we want to gain wisdom, then fear of the Lord is our starting place. Now, quite honestly, this is not a topic I wanted to tackle. I actually texted Rich this week and said, um, fear of the Lord, really? This is not exactly a hellfire and brimstone kind of church, and I'm a substitute teacher here. Uh, this is not a topic I want to cover. But really, there was no avoiding it because the Bible's clear. If you want wisdom, it begins with fearing God, and not just here. The Bible tells us to fear the Lord more than 300 times. But that's kind of a hard topic for us because we like to talk about the God who is loving and merciful and full of grace. And isn't he all of those things? He is. He's absolutely a loving God. He's absolutely a forgiving God, a gracious God. He's a good God. So then what then do we have to fear? Why would the Bible tell us to fear the Lord? Well, I think that the the somersaults that our mind does when we hear those things really comes from the fact that as humans, we tend to have a lot of extreme thinking. We swing the pendulum, right? On this side, we have love and grace and mercy and forgiveness and peace. And on this side, we have judgment and, and anger and all of these other things. We think it's an either-or situation. But God is not just loving, and he's not only gracious, and he's not exclusively forgiving. He is all those things in spades, but he's also a God of power. He's a God of authority. He's a God of dominion, and he's a God of rule and of justice. He, unlike most of us, is perfectly balanced. He is perfect love and perfect power. He through him comes complete forgiveness and final judgment. He's both, as the, the Bible calls him, the lion and the lamb. God is both. He's both. So as I was thinking about this series on wisdom, I thought about sharing with you some of the wisdom that I learned from my dad. And then I realized that most of that wisdom would not be appropriate for a microphone at church. So most of it is not going to be coming to you this morning, but I do want to share you one thing, one piece of wisdom that my dad would give to me from time to time, usually in jest while I was growing up. And that was, I brought you into this world and I can take you out, right? I brought you into this world and I could take you out. Now, that was my dad's way of saying, girl, you're getting too big for your britches, or um, there's an org chart in this family and your name is not at the top, right? It was my, my dad's way of reminding me um, that he was in fact in charge and I was not. And you know what? In today's culture, that feels a little weird because we are all about like all of us being equal, like parents and their kids and everything. But actually, there's a hierarchy in a family and my dad taught me that. So he, he brought me into this world and he could take me out. And you know what? The same thing is true about God, right? God brought us into this world and he can take us out. He has the power to do that. Now, by his goodness and grace, he chooses not to most of the time. And I'm pretty grateful for that in my life. So before this goes sideways, I want to remind you of something. So my daughter, Abigail, her new favorite movie is the movie Inside Out. 
And if you've seen it, it's actually fantastic. It's my favorite new movie, and it replaced The Little Mermaid, which has reigned since I was in sixth grade. So Inside Out, the basic moral of the story, to, I'm not kidding, if you have not seen this movie, go see it. Um, rent it or whatever you do. Um, the basic moral of the story with Inside Out is that all feelings are useful. Actually, that all feelings are useful. One of the characters in Inside Out is fear. Now, sometimes fear gets a little out of hand and he's not terribly helpful, but once in a while, fear is useful. And I found this to be true in my life last summer. We were out boating and this huge, beautiful sea lion comes swimming up next to the boat. I thought it was so cool. I immediately had this like longing and desire to jump into the bay and to swim next to the sea lion. And in my mind, it was going to be just like in the movies. It would be a scene out of a dolphin tail, or for those of us a little older, out of Free Willy, right? Like, or, or what was that? Flipper. Oh, the flipper. There we go. We got every generation there. All right. So it was going to be like that. It was going to be in the movies. It's going to be so awesome. And then all of a sudden, I recognized that I was not in a movie. And should I choose to jump into the bay with this enormous sea lion, there was a pretty good chance I could die, right? In that case, my fear of dying helped keep me from doing something really, really foolish, right? And that's kind of how it works with the fear of the Lord, actually. Sometimes fearing the God, recognizing his power and his authority, sometimes that fear helps keep us from doing things that are really, really foolish, but seem to look pretty good at the time or seem really appealing to us. Fear of the Lord, knowing that God is a God of justice, and that God loves us too much to let us get away with our sinful behavior. Acknowledging that helps us not to do quite so many foolish things. That's the idea. So Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 say, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. So the Bible says, if you want to be wise, start with the fear of the Lord. And I would put it this way. If you want to be wise, recognize that God's in charge. That's another way of saying it. Wisdom begins with putting God in charge. That's really what the fear of the Lord boils down to. It's submitting to God's authority, having reverence for his power, recognizing that his ways are higher than our ways, that he is actually greater than we are. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. God is greater than us. He's higher than us. And I actually think that it's easy to sort of say, um, yep, God's smarter than me. Most of us don't think, yeah, actually I'm a little smarter than God, right? It's easy to acknowledge God's smarter than me in theory. But in practice, in real life, when we're making our choices day to day, I think many of us struggle to get out of the driver's seat and to really put God in charge, right? In my way, in my life, it looks like this. Okay, God, you're in charge. Make me wise. Oh, yeah, thanks for that wisdom. God, you want me to tithe? Are you kidding? Have you seen my checkbook? Surely you can think of a better way to teach me not to love money, right? Wisdom, hmm. 
Or we say, God, you want me to love that person? Do you know how they behave, God? Surely you do not want me to love that person. Or, God, you want me to submit to my husband? There has got to be an easier way to a happy marriage, Lord. Or spend time with you? Yeah, God, that's a great idea. I'd really love to do that, but my calendar's too full, right? We say we want to be wise. We say we want godly wisdom, but we kind of want it on our terms. And the Bible says it doesn't work that way. The Bible says that wisdom begins with putting God in charge, deciding that he doesn't just get a vote, he gets to decide. Another thing that the Bible teaches us about wisdom is that if we want wisdom, we should ask for it, right? I have a three-year-old. Sometimes she gets a little whiny. I love that I can use her because she's not old enough to care yet. So sometimes she gets a little bit whiny, and, and I have no idea what's going on with her. And it takes, it takes time to get past the whining to say, Abigail, just tell me what you want, right? And I think sometimes I'm like that with God, too. I start to whine. I get frustrated with life. I don't like how things are going. But I haven't told God what I want. I haven't asked God for what I need. And the Bible says that if what you need is wisdom, then ask God. James 1, 5 through 7 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding faults, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. It really doesn't get any more straightforward than that. If we want wisdom, we ask God for it. So this morning in your program, there's a space where you can write down in your notes section, when this week will I ask God for wisdom? How can we make that a priority? Some of you, you might write down, I'm going to ask God for wisdom every morning before my feet touch the floor. Some of you are not morning people, and your brain won't even think about that until somewhere around 10 a.m. So in your case, maybe you're going to say, I'm going to ask God for wisdom before I take the first bite of my lunch. Or maybe you're having a hard time with your kids, or you're having a hard time with your spouse, and so you're going to say, you know what? I'm going to ask God for wisdom before I open my mouth and have that conversation, right? But write it down. Write it down and then make it a priority to ask God for wisdom. Because when we ask God for wisdom, he gives it to us. He gives it to us. So that's a start. We First, we fear the Lord. We put God in charge. And then we ask God for wisdom. And what happens? Well, the Bible tells us that when he asks God for wisdom, he gives us wisdom. So then what do we do? We need to tune in to godly wisdom and tune out the rest. Tune in to godly wisdom and tune out the rest. Proverbs 1, 20 and 21 says, Wisdom cries aloud in the streets. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate, she speaks. When we ask God for wisdom, he gives wisdom. And like the verses say, wisdom is calling out. She's shouting out to us. Have you ever seen um, the show Survivor? On Survivor, there are challenges, and there are team challenges and individual challenges. You're either um, trying to get some yummy food, some cool 
um, reward challenge or it's an immunity challenge. You can't get voted off the island. That's how it works. But one of my favorite survivor challenges is goes like this. So one team member is standing up here at the end of an obstacle course. The other team member is at the other end of the course and they're blindfolded. Between the two team members, there's boxes and ropes and muddy pits and all sorts of perils. And the object of this game is that I, who am not blindfolded, will call out to my teammate who is blindfolded and help them safely navigate the obstacle course. And that's pretty complicated, but it gets even more complicated because there are five or six or seven teams all in a row in the same space, all trying to do the same thing at the same time. So what happens is that there are six or seven voices shouting out commands about how to navigate this obstacle course. And if you want any hope of surviving, what you have to do is tune into your teammate and tune out all the rest. Because if you do not tune into your teammate, you are very likely to be let off course or even led into disaster by the other voices that are calling out. And the same is true when we're seeking godly wisdom. When we're seeking godly wisdom, we have to learn in to tune in to God's wisdom and to tune out the rest of the noise. But that can be really hard because there are some really loud competing voices with godly wisdom. There's some really great counterfeit wisdom out there. And the most obvious one, perhaps, is worldly wisdom, the wisdom of the world. 1 Corinthians 3.19 says, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. So God says the wisdom of the world is foolish, and that makes sense. But you know what? Where do we live in the world? What are we surrounded by? the world. I mean, we're immersed in the world. And so it can be kind of hard to distinguish between godly wisdom and worldly wisdom because we're in the world every day. And it sounds kind of close sometimes. For example, worldly wisdom says, stick up for yourselves. And that doesn't sound like a bad idea. But godly wisdom says, turn the other cheek or let God fight for you. It's a little different. Worldly wisdom says, if you want to be great, pursue power or money or be really good at handling a ball. But godly wisdom says that greatness actually comes through serving other people. Or worldly wisdom says, you can be anything you want to be. Isn't that a nice idea? It is. But godly wisdom says, actually, you can be anything that God created you to be that you're uniquely wired. You have gifts and talents. God designed you for a purpose. So sometimes worldly wisdom is obviously absurd and easy to dismiss, but often worldly wisdom sounds kind of close or almost right. That's why it's so important to learn to tune in to godly wisdom. If not, we can be easily fooled into living according to worldly wisdom instead and making our decisions based on worldly wisdom. But you know, for me, worldly wisdom isn't the loudest competing voice. My loudest competing voice is my own. It's my own understanding. It's my own wisdom. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 might be some of the most quoted verses in Proverbs. They say, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight your paths. 
Um, we don't hear the verses that follow this as often, but they're actually pretty important in context. 7 says, be not wise in your own eyes. Or I love the way that the message puts it. It says, don't assume that you know it all. Right? Good advice. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, there it is again, and turn away from evil. It will be healing for your flesh and refreshment for your bones. I think one of the biggest distractions in seeking godly wisdom for whatever decision we're facing is that we substitute godly wisdom for our own wisdom, for our own understanding. We are wise in our own eyes. We think we can discern what's best for ourselves. I know that I do that. Um, recently, um, it became very clear that I could no longer keep doing everything that I had been doing. For about 20 years of my life, I have added um, people to care about, causes to champion, groups to lead, things to do. I just kept adding and had done very little subtracting. I read books about how to have balance and rest and Sabbath, and I thought to myself, yeah, God fills in the gaps. I, I have a bigger plate than most people. I can handle it, right? But then God was saying, actually, you can't handle it, angel. You're not sleeping. You are not spending time with me. There's no Sabbath. You are, you are doing all of this in your own strength and not my strength because there's no time for me. It's time to subtract. And I heard God's wisdom, and I thought, but God, I need the money that comes from that job, that particular other job. God, I actually, I like those people a lot. And if I stop doing this, will I still have those relationships? God, this cause is so important. If I don't do it, who will? God said, stop. And I said, how about I just cut back? God said, stop. And I said, well, my own understanding says I can just cut back and that will be good enough. And my own understanding led me as close to burnout as I had ever been. I was anxious. I was starting to have panic attacks. I could not sleep at night. I had insomnia. I was constantly late, which I hate. I didn't feel like I was doing very good for anyone or anything. Oh, gosh, I just looked over and saw some of my people from small group. I literally did not show up to small group on the right week. Like, everybody was there but me because whatever. Okay, life was overwhelming. I, I was frazzled. I really, truly lived in fear that I was going to have a heart attack or a nervous breakdown at any moment. That is where my own understanding got me. I started with asking God for wisdom. He gave me wisdom, and instead, I leaned on my own understanding. I was wise in my own eyes, and I made a mess. And that's how it goes for me. And it's kind of weird because I know God is smarter than me. In theory, I get this. In practice, sometimes I get this right. There's no doubt in my mind that God is smarter than me. But sometimes when it comes to making decisions about my life, I substitute his godly wisdom for my own understanding. The thing is, if we want to be wise... We have to do more than just put God in charge with our lips. We have to do more than just ask for, for godly wisdom. We actually have to tune in to what God is saying. We have to tune in to godly wisdom and listen for it and then listen to it. When God gives wisdom, we have a choice. Will we trust him with all our hearts 
Or will we lean on our own understanding? Will we be wise in our own eyes? Scripture tells us that the path to wisdom is trusting in God with all our heart. It's listening and tuning in to godly wisdom. My husband and Kevin and I have been taking a lot of trips down to Eugene lately, and one of the problems with this is that we can never find the radio stations we're looking for, right? We get past Seattle, we have no idea how to tune into his country music um, or whatever we want to listen to. We don't know how to tune in, and sometimes that's true with us too. We're like, okay, I need to put God in charge, I need to ask for wisdom, and then I need to tune in. Where do I tune in? Here's a couple of ideas for you this morning. First of all, church, you're already here. Great job. (laughs) Make attending church a priority. When you go to church, you hear godly wisdom. Someone preaches the truth of God's word, and we hear wisdom. Make attending church a priority. Two, listen to your elders. Turns out that much of wisdom is earned and not learned, right? That as we grow up, we gain wisdom from what we get right and what we get wrong. So I want to encourage you, listen to your elders. The book of Proverbs, much of the book of Proverbs is written from a father to his sons, telling them everything they need to know before they leave home. If you do not have a mother or father who can act as a spiritual mentor to you, um, then find one. If you have one, listen to them. They're smarter than you think. I think our society says the young people are the smart ones. They know how to operate our phones. They know how to get this stuff done, right? And that might be true. The young people may very well be the smart ones, but the older people, they're often the wise ones. So seek relationships with people older than you. Develop that. Learn from their wisdom. If you are older, and here's a clue, the Bible says with gray hair comes wisdom. So whether you show it or not, if you have gray hair, you might be in that category. If you're older, go out of your way to build relationships with people younger than you. Share the wisdom that you've learned along the way. So go to church, listen to your elders, read the Bible. The Bible is God's letter to us. There is no better way, no better way to learn what the voice of God's wisdom sounds like than by reading the word of God. You can start with one verse a day if that's a stretch for you. And it doesn't matter if you read it on an app or you have a verse a day sent to your text message or you leave a Bible by the toilet at home. Whatever it is, however you need to do things so that you can get into the word of God, if you tune into the, to the voice of wisdom by reading the word of God, that will make a difference. And the last idea, especially for the creative types, comes through music. God has gifted some people with the gift of writing songs and lyrics that have everything to do with the wisdom of God and who God is. So sometimes tuning into Christian music, worship music, praise music, can help us learn to discern the wisdom of God. I know during some of the hardest, most agonizing times in my life, it has actually been the words to Christian music that have helped anchor me and keep me wise and keep me grounded. So I want to challenge you this week or next week Try to just immerse yourself into worship and praise music and see if that doesn't make a difference in being able to tune in to godly wisdom and tune out the rest. My prayer for all of us this week is that we would take our next step towards being wise, whatever that is, because the decisions that we make impact our lives. So whether you need to start by putting God in charge or putting him back in charge, Or you, like my three-year-old, just need to ask for what you need from God and ask him for wisdom. Or you need to tune in more closely to godly wisdom and tune out 
all the rest of the worldly wisdom and your own understanding, whatever it is, my prayer is that you would take a step this week towards wisdom. Let's pray. God, you are a great God, and you are infinitely loving and absolutely kind, and we are so grateful to be in your presence. God, you're, all, you're also way smarter than we are. You are wise. You're a good God who wants the best for us so we can submit to you. We can trust you. We can put you in charge. God, would you help us to calibrate our hearts, to incline our ears, to hear your wisdom? God, would you help us to discern between everything else and to focus on you and to hear the wisdom that comes from you? God, would you bless us like you blessed Solomon with a wise and discerning heart? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.